Yeah, we worship his name this morning, ladies, and we're coming to chapter 2 of John's Gospel. And uh, John's Gospel is different to the other Gospels. Uh, Matthew, Mark and Luke are known as the synoptic Gospels, which that word just means Gospels that are similar, because Matthew, Mark, uh, Matthew, Mark and uh, Luke... Uh, tell us lots of stories and some of them double up they tell the story maybe in a couple of the gospels and so they are very different that kind of they're, they're parallel they're kind of parallel there's a lot of things that are the same with Matthew uh, Luke and uh, Matthew Mark and Luke but John's gospel is different in that John sets out things differently he sets out throughout the book he, he gives us the miracles of Jesus in a particular order and he calls the miracles signs. And so we're now today, we're going to look at this first miracle that John records as being a sign. And we're going to look at the story of turning the water into wine at the wedding in Cana. So I'm going to read to you the first 11 verses. And then we're going to just go through this and trust the Holy Spirit to come and minister to us this morning. It says, On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to them, They have no wine. It would almost seem like... Um, that this was a, whoever was getting married, it would seem almost like they could be family or certainly good friends because Mary was the one who, who brought the news that they'd run out of wine. So it may well have been a family wedding. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were set there six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. And Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. And when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it had come from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew the master of the feast called the bridegroom and he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. That was the, the reason for this. The sign was for his glory predominantly, and that his disciples would believe in him. So we wanted to start off just looking at this. Uh, this is a passage of scripture that has kind of uh, intrigued me for years and kind of really had always a few questions about it. And I felt this week the past that God has given me some enlightenment and I hope and pray that it ministers and gives you enlightenment as well. First of all, I want to say that the, the weddings in those particular, that particular time in history, the Jewish wedding, a betrothal, what we would call our engagement, the betrothal was as legally binding as an actual marriage ceremony. So it was a very, very strong thing to be betrothed. And then sometime later, 
whilst the bride was waiting for her bridegroom, he would go away and he would prepare his house for her. He would make a place for her, prepare a place for her, get the house ready for her to, to, to come and live with him. And then he would come often with his friends and he would come to the, the bride's house and he would come with great pomp and I think they made a lot of sound. You could hear him coming and they made a lot of sound of music and joy and they would come to the house and they would, uh, the, the, the bride was always ready. She had everything ready in anticipation of when he would come and when he came then uh, she would get, gather things up and she would go along with joy and great pomp and ceremony and festivities and he would take her to his home and there would be celebrations and uh, they would be, the marriage would be consummated and uh, the, 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 the bride's family and friends who often travelled a long distance because of no buses or railway lines in those days, they maybe travelled a long distance. So they made a big thing of it and maybe for one week they would get renew old acquaintances and family members and catch up with each other and, and have a great time. And so a wedding ceremony was an occasion. It was a big thing. And of course, when we think of this, the, the outline of this, it reminds us of Jesus. Do you remember when he was going back in John 14? For do you remember he said, you know, I'm going away and um, I, I'm actually going to read it to you. Um, where if, um, Let me just read it to you in John 14, where he said, I'm going away, but don't let your hearts be troubled. Uh, because if I go away, I'm going to come back again. And then he says, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. So the wedding was an amazing picture of how Jesus has gone with his father right now. And even now is preparing a place. Uh, we talk about a place of many mansions. But he's preparing a place for us to go and be with him. So that's that's the joy of it. Um, yeah, the, the New Living Translation says, Don't let your heart be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. There are more than enough there is more than enough room in my father's home. I'm going to prepare a place for you. When everything is ready, I will come and get you. What an amazing promise. What an amazing promise that he will come and get us. And so this was the uh, this is the backdrop to this story, and the timing of this wedding. Did you notice it says on the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee? Remember that this story was given as a sign. John has seven signs. We're going to look at them as we go through this book. This is a sign, and I'm wondering if this third day isn't a, sort of a pointer to or a prophetic sign, if you like to the resurrection of Jesus because he, he rose again on the third day and if he hadn't risen from the dead then we would have no hope the resurrection secures our hope it secures the, the, our salvation it secures uh, the, the promise that we are his bride and we're going to be with him because if he hadn't risen from the, from the, from the dead then the, the cross, the work of the cross would not have been affirmed. It was, he proved that the work was accepted and completed and he rose in victory on the third day. And so this, this I believe, this, this timing of this wedding is a, a, a sort of a picture, a faint picture of pointing us towards the resurrection and pointing us towards what the big picture of this story is all around. I wrote down here the problem at the wedding and I've just given a couple of quotes here. Um, it says, to fail in providing ad adequately for the guests would involve social disgrace. 
In the closely knit communities of Jesus' day, such an error would never be forgotten and would haunt the married couple all their lives. Additionally, wine was a rabbinical symbol of joy. Therefore, to run out of wine would almost have been the equivalent of admitting that neither the guests nor the bride and groom were happy. It was a big, it was a big no-no to run out of wine in those particular days. That was the problem. But the next point is that we should always bring our problems to Jesus. Because when I read this, you'll have noticed that Mary came to Jesus. She didn't run to anyone else. She went directly to Jesus and she said, we have a problem. We have no more wine. We have run out of wine. Now here's the bit that really has confused me over the years. And I felt that God has given me clarity in this because I could never really understand why Jesus said, woman, what is your concern to do with me? My hour is not yet come. Mary replied as if almost, I mean, to, to us, that to say to, to his mother, woman, you know, why are you bringing that to me? You know, my hour's not come. It sounds harsh, doesn't it? It doesn't sound like Jesus. And so I've been kind of really looking up a lot of commentaries and praying and asking the Holy Spirit to help me to understand what that's all about. And I've really felt that God has given me insight over this past week because... First of all, we should know that that term woman rather than mother, that that was not, in in our society, it sounds harsh, it sounds even disrespectful. But in that particular day, it was not seen as disrespectful in the language and culture of that day. And in fact, when Jesus was on the cross, you'll remember that he spoke to John and he said, are we okay, Jane? He said to to John, he said to his mother, first of all, woman, behold your son. Do you remember that? Whenever he was on the cross and he was about to die and his mother was there, he spoke to her. He used that same term, woman. So it's not a disrespectful term. We need to get that in our minds. But I, I think with God's help, maybe you're going to see something about this that's going to give you a bit of enlightenment. Because uh, remember that, she, that Mary's first thought was to bring the problem to Jesus. Now we've got to remember that Mary had brought Jesus up from he was a baby. She had given birth to him. She was his mother. And, uh, and so since there's no mention of Joseph, as we read uh, in, during Jesus' adult life uh, in his public ministry, his father is not mentioned. Joseph, who was not his father, because God was his father, but you know, Joseph married to Mary. There's no word of Joseph. So it would seem, we, we kind of conclude that Joseph had died whenever Jesus was younger which would have meant that Jesus would have stepped up to be as the firstborn son would have stepped up into responsibility and and Mary would have looked to him as her firstborn son as the one that who could solve the problems and no doubt throughout his childhood and his teenage years he had helped her in many ways because she's not one bit afraid to come and ask him for help and you need to remember this that in your time of need when something's wrong don't be running to everybody else first go first to Jesus go to him and tell him about the problem that's what Mary did and and when he said to her woman what's that to me it's almost like a rebuke but we're going to see in a moment I'm going to I'm going to teach I'm going to what's the word I'm going to to tetch this out is that a word tease that's the word I'm going to tease this out so that you can see what I believe was actually happening between Mary and between Mary and Jesus So as the eldest son, she had no hesitation. She knew she could depend upon her eldest son. 
Remember, he was a son without sin. He was a perfect son. Mary knew what it was to have Jesus in her life. And here's what I believe actually happened. This is, in my view, after reading lots and praying lots and looking at it, here's what I think. I'm going to read part of that because it's, it's going to help me to get it across quickly. I believe that the interaction between Mary and Jesus at the wedding was a special moment in Mary's life. Because whilst Mary understood, even before conception, she understood that her child was going to be the Son of God. Remember, the, 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 that, that had been revealed to her. And she knew that she was going to be, that she was favoured among, among, among women. Remember, the angel told her that you're favoured among women. So she knew that she was going to bring forth the Messiah, that God had chosen her to do this. But you know, when Mary gave birth to Jesus, she loved him. He was her boy. Yes, he was God, but he was also her baby boy. And she tended this child and brought him up. And she loved him as a mother in the true sense of the word. She raised him all the way to manhood. But Mary must have known that there would come a day when she would have to let go of Jesus a time to stop thinking of him so much as her son and begin to see him more as her God. Because he was God in flesh. And it seems to me that Jesus totally understood this truth. And at the wedding, in his gentle wisdom, Jesus was actually helping Mary in this transition that was about to come. I believe he was helping her to understand the shift in their relationship. And when he called her woman instead of mother, he was helping her. He was helping to show her this shift that must come to pass. He was helping her to understand that his agenda was ultimately about doing his heavenly father's business. Remember as a 12-year-old, he, he told both his mother and he told Joseph and Mary, I must be about, don't you know that I must be about my father's business? Even as a 12-year-old, the, the year of the bar mitzvah, when the child begins to grow up in the Jewish tradition, he was, he was trying to alert her that, that he had to be about his heavenly father's business. So when Jesus said, my hour has not begun, why ask me now? He was reminding Mary that his father in heaven had first call on his life. And there was a specific time for Jesus to redeem mankind. And he must not preempt the timing of his father. That's what I think this was about. And Mary's response to the servants, whenever she said, whatever he tells you to do, do it. And by the way, that's the only command that Mary ever gave. Whatever Jesus tells you to do, do it. What did Jesus say? Come on to me. All you that are weary and heavy laden, come to me. And so Mary, the, what a wonderful, beautiful, favoured woman she was. And so she has totally, I believe, received this admonition at the wedding. Because I believe that her response showed that she had accepted. She, this mother-son relationship, you know when you're close to your boy. There's times I just look at William and put my arms around him and, and talk to him. And he mightn't say anything. But I know where he's coming from and he knows where I'm coming from. There's something that passes, isn't there? Between in love relationships, there's something that passes. And it seems that she totally got it. 
It seems that she totally accepted that her hour had come to begin to let go. And she trusted Jesus to do whatever was right. She said, whatever he tells you to do, just do it. And although it wasn't really the time for Jesus maybe to step into the fullness of his ministry, because of his love for his mother, Jesus quietly responded to this request about the wine. And at the same time, he was obedient to his father because this particular miracle was going to show the glory of God. And I believe it's going, as we go through this, we're going to see how God's glory was shown at this wedding. Because this wedding was a sign. And you see, when he said to her, woman, what's that to me? I think that this was helping her to realise her place in womanhood rather than her place as his particular mother. And that's why at the cross he looked at his mother and he said, Woman, behold your son. And he looked at John, his beloved disciple, and he said, he looked at him and he said, Behold your mother. He was actually giving his mother in love into the care of the beloved disciple, the one that he could trust, the one who wrote this gospel, the one who leaned on the breast of Jesus, the one that Jesus loved so much. This relationship between John and Jesus was so beautiful that he actually entrusted his mother and he was helping her to see that transition at the wedding, the beginning of his ministry. He's helping her to see there's a day coming. You need to be prepared and your God as well as your earthly son. And so what a tender moment this is. How beautiful this is. And Mary totally got it. Mary totally got it. But this wedding and what took place at this wedding, remember it was a sign, a sign of something beautiful. And we're going to see it was the first. What happened? Well, it was the, this was the first sign, this first miracle. It was a sign in the Gospel of John. And if you notice, uh, Jesus gave instructions to fill the six stone water jars which were normally used for ceremonial cleansing and to fill them with water which Jesus was about to turn into wine and instead of these water jars holding water for cleansing these jars were going to hold wine to drink now I've written here in your notes the best wine was served last showing the creative power of God to transform not just water into wine, but to transform lives. This miracle symbolised the difference between the Old and the New Testament. It was a foretaste of the kingdom of God. It was a sign for the glory of Jesus. Now here's the thing, in 2 Corinthians 3, it talks about the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And here's what it says, uh, looking at verse 7. The old way with laws etched in stone led to death. The law in the Old Testament, with all the ceremonial cleansings and all of that, written in stone, really only showed us that we couldn't possibly live up to God's requirements of the law. We could never be good enough. We could never, in our own merit, be good enough to have a place uh, in, in, in heaven with God and to be re-reconciled and 
and joined again back into God's family because sin had broken that beautiful, that beautiful um, relationship at the beginning. And the only way was for Jesus to come and die on the cross, shed his blood and, and stand in our place and die for our sins. Now we all know that. But here's the thing. The old way with the laws etched in stone led to death Though it began with such glory. Do you remember whenever Moses and the law, there was, his face was, was full of light. They couldn't even look at his face because of the glory of the old, of, this, of the law. But yet it faded. The, the, the light and the glory faded off Moses because the law could never make us right with God. Keeping the law, keeping the commandments could never make us right with God. But then it goes on to say, shouldn't we expect for greater glory under this new way, now that the Holy Spirit gives life. You see, Jesus, this, this miracle of turning the water into wine was a picture of how the Old Testament could never transform a life. It could, it, many, many sacrifices kept, kept us right with God legally, but only the death, the final sacrifice of Christ could actually pay for our sins once and for all and bring us right into relationship. And not only back into relationship, but actually what we could carry in our body, the Holy Spirit, which would transform us into his likeness. And changing the water into wine is as different as saying the water is like the old law that could never change us, but the wine, when it's changed into, into wine, it speaks of the new wine that God can put into our hearts. You know, the Bible is full of this. How, how wine is something that brings joy. And Ephesians chapter, uh, chapter 3 says, We're to redeem the time, therefore don't be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And so the changing of water into wine, the wine speaks of the joy and the transformation that God wants to make in your life and mine because of what he's done on the cross. And so he's showing something. He's showing that the old is gone. The law is passing. Now comes the Spirit. Now we move in the Spirit. And this is what brings glory to God when we move from out of one realm into another. When we realize that this, this, um, this beautiful miracle is a foretaste. It's a foretaste of what God wants to do for us as his bride. I just wanted to read Matthew. There's a verse here in Matthew 26, 29. Hang on, I didn't write it down, so I'm just going to find it here. 26, um, verse 29, which says, But I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit, this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. This is about the wine, the new wine that we will drink in the kingdom. This is about the joy that's released to us even now. That there, you know, the Song of Solomon talks about, about his love being better than wine. And so God wants us to know that we are his bride. And I think that it's not by chance that the first miracle that John records is actually at a wedding. I think this whole scenario is a bigger picture of us as the bride of Christ and the wedding that ultimately we're going to. And I, I just believe that this morning that God wants you to have a fresh joy released. Like a fresh, that you're to drink fresh wine this morning. And be quite here 
rejoicing. May the Spirit be released over you. May the Holy Spirit be released on you that you will feel like you have had a big drink of the, of the wine of heaven that God wants to give you to give you joy in your hearts this morning. Now here's the thing. I don't think it's by chance that this, was, that this is the first wedding that's recorded. This is the first sign that John records. Because if you go over, and we're just going to pop over for one moment, into chapter 3 of John's Gospel, you'll see that John the Baptist, remember we looked at him in chapter 1, and he, he started off saying he was a witness, he was a voice crying in the wilderness and all of that. But in chapter 3, he's still baptizing. And a little bit further down in chapter 3, he says um, in, in verse uh, 20, 28, You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride... This is it's interesting, this, isn't it? This is just after this, this wedding miracle at the wedding. It, John the Baptist says, He who has the bride is the bridegroom. That's Jesus. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, his, this joy of mine is fulfilled. John said, he must increase, but I must decrease. And so John, I just think it's amazing that the very next chapter, John's picking up. I wonder, did he hear about this wedding? Did he hear about what actually happened? And, and John got a fresh revelation. He's not only the Lamb of God, but he's the bridegroom. And I'm the friend of the bridegroom. And I hear his voice and I'm rejoicing. And you see, John was coming to give the good news and prepare the way. And this morning, I want you ladies to get this. Jesus is your bridegroom. If you have asked him to be your saviour and your Lord, and maybe there's those this morning and you've never actually done that, I just have to tell you it's so simple. He came because he loved you. And he went the whole way to the cross to bear your sins and to take all your troubles and all of your your sins and all of the stuff from the past and the mess of your life, he took it in his own body on the tree and the cross so that you could have the beautiful exchange of his sinlessness, that you could be made perfect and that he would exchange, give you that garment of righteousness and make you, make you pure in his sight because God the Father would see you in Christ and reckon unto you that you are free from sin because of what Christ has done. That's the place we step into at the moment of salvation, where we realise that Jesus has paid the price. There's no price for us to pay. He has made us clean. He has washed us with his own blood. And we're blood-bought. We're, we're actually... He's paid the price that you would be his bride. And I believe that's such a huge thing this morning. And I know I'm really watching my time, because there's some things that I really want to say to you to encourage you as the bride of Christ this morning. I've written in your notes, no wonder Jesus' first miracle was at a wedding. The concept of Jesus being our bridegroom is woven into scripture, right from the Genesis brides all the way to Revelation. Remember whenever he, whenever he, he, he made Eve, remember he opened the side of Adam and he took out part of Adam and he built, the word for, for making Eve was that he built her. And he built her what to be a bride for Adam. What's the picture for Jesus? Well, when Jesus was on the cross, remember the soldier pierced his side? His side was opened that out of his suffering on the cross that he would actually present to Jesus the bride. That God the Father was giving. We're the bride. I mean, Genesis, if you take time and go through the different women in the book of Genesis... 
and see either a picture of Israel. For example, I'm giving you a couple of examples just to whet your appetite and maybe start to do it on your own. But take, for example, Sarah. Sarah's a picture of Israel, you know, barren for so long, and then finally the promised son coming, Isaac, who's a picture of Jesus the Messiah. Remember, he was brought up, Abraham was willingly gave him, uh, was prepared to sacrifice him. The most amazing picture of Jesus. And then, do you remember Isaac, whenever it came for him to have a bride, uh, do you remember Abraham sent the servant, picture of the Holy Spirit, to go on the long journey to go and get Rebecca and ask the bride, are you willing to come to, be, to, to marry this man? And she was willing, picture of us, willing, as the Holy Spirit prompts us, where we say, do you remember they said we have to ask her, are you willing to go to be with this man? And she said, I will. And she got on a camel and she rode on the camel through the desert, picture of us going through life and through the desert parts of our life. And finally, do you remember it says that Isaac was out in the field and he looked up and he caught her eye at the moment that she was getting off the camel. And he says he loved her. Picture of Jesus and, and his bride, you and me, actually seeing him face to face where we catch his eye for the first time. What an amazing picture. And every single woman, I mean, Jacob, he worked for his bride. Jesus came and he gave us time and he worked, he toiled for us. Every single woman. Joseph Married in the end, after all the suffering, to a Gentile bride. Picture of Jesus married to us, the church. I mean, Genesis is full of it. And then as you go on through Genesis, you will see that the bride just pops up throughout the rest of Scripture. For example, um, foreshadowed in the Song of Solomon. I mean, Song of Solomon is a beautiful love between a man and a woman. But listen, primarily it's actually about Christ and the bride. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Talks of intimacy, how Christ wants to bless us and kiss us with his word and love us, revive us. We were reminded this morning in the prayer room of the need for the church, for the bride of Christ to be revived and to know she's loved. And we were reminded uh, just by Roberta this morning of how before you can do heart massage, you have to breathe in. And how we need the breath. But we need his kisses, ladies. We need his breath. Just as he breathed into man at the beginning to create life. We need, we need to be receiving love, his love. And let him breathe into us. And you know, he wants to revive our hearts. If your heart's cold this morning. If you're feeling tossed about. I'm going to read you a few verses at the very end. About how I believe the bride of Christ is almost being tossed about at the moment. And God wants to revive us. He wants to, he wants to give us heart massage. He wants to renew that passion, that heart that's beating with passion. He wants us to know who we are, that we are the bride of Christ. Ephesians 5, 22 to 33. Let's just read a couple of verses here as well. Again, referring to, um, to, to the bride of Christ and, and how God sees us as, as, as a bride. Let's just look at chapter 5. It says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband's the head of the wife, and also Christ is head of the church, and he is the saviour of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church 
and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that, the, that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own lives as their bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hateth his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. His father and mother, and, um, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's, that's the picture of marriage in the natural. Verse 32. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you as particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. These verses show us very, very clearly the parallel between the, the love, true love between a husband and, and how a husband and wife are supposed to love each other. The husband is meant to love you the way Christ loved the church. That's a very high call. A very high standard. And God wants us to know that we are the bride. We are his bride. And that's the way he loves you. And if you haven't had a very happy marriage, or maybe you're like myself, maybe you're, you're separated, you're divorced, maybe you've gone through tough times in a marriage, I don't know what your situations are, but I want to tell you this. You have one who loves you passionately as you ought to be loved. You have a bridegroom if you've trusted Jesus. And he's passionate about you. And you know, just as a husband is meant to protect and love and care for and nurture and nourish his, his wife, so that's what Christ wants to do in your life and in mine. And I'll tell you something, that it's only as I went through the separation in the natural and, and through the pain of that, and I'm sure many of you have gone through other kinds of pain, and maybe a lot of you through the, the same sort of marriage breakup pain that I've experienced, but I'll tell you something, that it was during that time of extreme pain and loneliness and despair and all the rest of it that became more precious to me that Jesus became the one who was my bridegroom. In fact, he's actually known as my husband in Isaiah 54, which we're going to look at in a moment. I've written in your notes here, when you trust Jesus as Saviour and Lord, you enter into covenant betrothal. Remember we said that a betrothal was as, it was as legally tying and binding as, as, as a marriage was. And when you enter into covenant relationship with Jesus, you are already in God's sight, you're already joined to Christ. And you need to remind yourself that Jesus is preparing a home for you, that you will be with him in glory. I often have this picture, I don't know, I, I believe we will go to heaven initially, but I, I, I believe according to scripture that there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and I believe we will spend eternity mostly, I actually think we'll maybe go between the two, but uh, there'll be a new earth, and I often wonder, you know, what kind of accommodation he has for us, and who'll be beside who, you know, I always shouting up, you coming up for a cup of coffee, you know, you sort of, you visualise it, don't you? But you know, we need to know that there's something real being prepared for us. We need to know that we are not just 
left here. And in fact, I think we need to even take away, you know, the, the fear of what's out there because the enemy wants death to be something that brings fear upon us. And I'm going to look at that in a moment. But you need to know that he's preparing a home for you right now, that you're his bride and you're already dressed in a wedding gown. You need to know that the moment you trust that Jesus is your saviour, you got the gown. Yeah. You have the wedding dress. Isn't that just amazing? And I love Isaiah 61 verse 10 in the New Living Translation because it says, I am overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God, for he has dressed me with the clothing of salvation and draped me in a robe of righteousness. And as you walk out of here, just walk out and just twist your dress around a wee bit. (laughs) Give her a bit of a twirl around and know that you're dressed in the robe of righteousness. It's been draped over you at the moment that you ask Jesus to save you from your sins. You know, there's no big rigmarole. Salvation is just receiving the gift of salvation. To as many as called upon the Lord, just call upon him and he'll save you. And honestly, I have a sense there could be somebody in here this morning and you've never done that. And you know all about this, but you've never actually personally said, Jesus, please come and save me. Be my saviour. That's all. You mean that heartfelt, that's it, he do it. If you ask him, he has promised He'll not turn you away. So he's the bridegroom who's waiting. He's waiting to see if you will receive him. And then it looks like this first miracle in John's Gospel is a forerunner to the main event. That's the main event in Revelation 19. Here's what it says. Let us be glad. Revelation 19 verses 7 to 8 says, Let us be glad and rejoice and let us give honour to him for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb. And his bride has made herself ready. Listen, the main event is up ahead. We're going to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. I can only imagine. Can you imagine how heaven would prepare a wedding? I mean, can you imagine what that actually means? But we're going to be the bride. We're going to be at that wedding. And then finally, in view of all of this, and because of because of uh, Isaiah fifty four one and eight, I'm wondering. What kind of a bride do you think we ought to be? I'm going to read some verses. I couldn't stop without just doing, saying a few words about this because it has just really overwhelmed me, the, the joy of this. this I, I would love you when you go home to take time and read the whole... I, I put down Isaiah 54 verses 1 to 14, but actually go right down to verse 17 because it's a very important verse in verse 17, which I didn't put in your notes. This is about how... The Spirit of God has has put these words in, in Isaiah. Imagine Isaiah long before Jesus came. And here's what he's saying. Sing, O barren, you who have not born, break forth into singing aloud. For more the children of the desolate than the children of the mar- married woman, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. What's happening here? Spirit of God speaking through, John, through Isaiah the prophet. And Isaiah is saying, there's a whole lot of you. And you're going to think you've blown it. There's a whole lot of you and you're going to feel your lives have been barren. There's a whole lot of you, and and he's speaking primarily to Israel, but for for the rest of us, it's a word for the rest of us as well as to Israel. And he's saying, maybe you're feeling, and maybe this morning you're feeling, you know, I just feel so barren. I feel, what's my life about? What have I done? How can I? Maybe, you know, there's something about, about feeling barren and unfruitful that the enemy would try to taunt us with. And I believe this morning God wants to reassure you that he can do, he can do the miraculous. He can, if you feel your life's a bit like the water, he can turn your life into wine. 
he can give you the, the joy that, that fresh new wine gives. And, and he talks here about how it's not time, it's, this is not about time to go into mourning. This is about singing, and this is about uh, shouting and singing. And it says it's time to, to, to enlarge the place of your tent. It's not time, this is not time for you to go back into depression and hopelessness. This is time to say, you know what, God? I give you what I've got. Like the little boy who brought his bread, his loaves to Jesus. When we give him what we've got, he'll say, you know what, I can stretch that. And he'll, he'll encourage us to stretch out our tent. He'll encourage us to enlarge where we are and to give him space to work in our lives. If, we, if we're prepared to do a bit of stretching, remember Beth did that one time, was it last season, about stretch, we're prepared to be stretched, God will come and, and he will partner with you and you begin to see things moving in your life that you never expected because he has given every single one of you women stuff to do. You are equipped he has made you to be just you and nobody else. He's given you a particular set of gifts and, 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 and anointing. And he wants you to know he has a place for you and he has a purpose for you. And he wants you to stretch out a wee bit and enlarge that place and let him have his way with you. Strengthen your Lord, lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes, for you shall expand to the right and to the left and your descendants will inherit the nations. There's some of you and you're worried about your family and there's some of you and you're, you're this morning you're feeling a bit like this. It goes on to say, I'm, 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 I've that many things to say at the minute about three things in the head. Which one will I say first, Lord? <laughs> you're going to expand. I believe that's a word that over, over some people this morning, that God wants to expand you. That's number one. He wants you to be free of fear. Verse 4. Do not fear, for you shall not be ashamed, neither be disgraced, for you will not be put to shame. There's some of you, and fear is grabbing your heart, and God says, stop being afraid. For you will forget the shame of your youth. There's some stuff you're remembering and God's saying, what's that about? Should I forgive you? I forgot. I've chosen to forget about that. What are you talking about? And there's some of you still harping on about stuff that happened years and years ago and God wants you free of it. You will forget the shame of your youth and will not remember the reproach of your widowhood anymore. For your maker is your husband. Do you get it? He's the one who loves you. He's your bridegroom. He's already counts himself your husband. He's my husband. I could not get through life without him. He's the most amazing husband. And then it says in verse 6, For the Lord has called you like a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit. Maybe, maybe there's some of you, and if you read on down through those verses, you'll see, you'll see just the heart of God for those who feel forsaken. And then verse 10, and my, But my kindness shall not depart from you, nor shall my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has mercy on you. And here's the bit, and I want to finish with this. O oh, you afflicted one, tossed with tempest, and not comforted, Behold, I will lay your stones with colourful gems and lay your foundations with sapphires. I will make your pinnacles of rubies, your gates of crystal and all your walls of precious stone. Do you know, all of that is a picture of the throne of God. I tell you, he's on the throne. You don't have to be afraid. He sits on his throne and he's looking at you. And if you feel that you've been tossed about, and I believe the bride in general 
the church in general, the enemy's trying to toss the church and, and bring a whole lot of confusion. And I believe this is a word for the church in the bigger picture. That's everybody who belongs to Christ, but I believe it's also for us this morning. And it goes on to say here, all your children shall be taught by the Lord and great shall be the peace of your children. And in the prayer room earlier, we were praying over the babies and praying over the children and declaring over our children that we will take this promise and we will believe that God will save our children. And then it goes right down to, um, in righteousness you shall be established. Some of you are feeling all, remember Elvis used to say, I'm all shook up. <laughs> You've been shaken. You've been shaken around. And, and I believe that God says, you're going to be established. You shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear. And from terror, for it shall not come near you. Just feel this morning God wants you to be free from fear. And how do, how do we get free from fear? When we experience the love of God. Perfect love casts out fear. And if you're fearful of something, you need to get what we spoke about earlier, the heart massage. You need to get the whisper of the word, the breath of God breathing into you. Let the word of God breathe through you, into you today. Let it, let it begin to revive you. Let God massage your heart into passion where there's a passion beginning to beat in your heart that you become so aware that he loves you so much that you would receive that love and that you would begin to love him back and do you know what will happen? You will be established and you will not be afraid. Fear will not be something that will be part of who you are and you will know that victory that God wants to give us to give you and finally verse 17 no weapon formed against you shall prosper and every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their righteousness is from me says the Lord this morning as we finish off I just would love you we're going to take a moment just to see how you can apply this to your heart how you can just receive his love afresh. Ask him to come and take over. Give him all you've got. Surrender yourself again to him. You know, marriage in the natural is about surrendering to each other. It's about choosing to love each other and to spend your lives together. And I believe this morning that God wants to say to you, do you love me? Let me love you. It's about recommitment. It's about coming again, saying, Lord, I want to give you my all. It's about knowing him as your bridegroom. It's about knowing him as your husband, the one who wants to come near and strengthen you and reassure you. You know, a godly husband is such a gift. A godly husband who will care for you in the natural. We have a heavenly one. And, and the best of husbands, the best of husbands, cannot outdo him. He is the ultimate bridegroom who loves you passionately and wants to share his life with yours. Wants you to go through life knowing who you are in him. That you are not bereft. That you are not alone. For God is with you. And he never leaves you. And he will fight for you. And he wants to take you forward. And so we're going to just take a moment and then we're going to stand and we're going to sing that song Oh Lord, you're beautiful. I see your face in every sunrise. The colours of the morning are inside your eyes. The world awakens in the light of the day. I look up into the sky and I say, you're beautiful. Let's just take a moment or two silence just to have a moment with the Lord and ask him just to come afresh and massage your heart and awaken that love again.
just to stir you up again in love. And then we'll stand and sing that. Just a moment. As we sing this song, I just had this thought, wouldn't it be a wonderful thing? You don't have to do this, but if you want, if you feel like you're saying, I want to renew my vows again, I want to just tell him again I love him fresh, I want to just give myself to him all over again, wouldn't it be amazing as we sing this song, if just those of you who want to just do that, would just come to the front, and we'll just pray over you from the front. Wouldn't that be just an amazing, amazing thing to recommit yourself to him. I remember many years ago speaking here to some of the women after the late Jill Emerson died and I remember we had some women here who were doing the worship and we had a, 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 a con ladies conference where the ladies who were doing the worship wore, wore their wedding gowns and I was speaking that morning, I don't know, is there anybody here who was at that morning all those years ago? And I wore somebody else's bridal gown and I remember walking up this aisle and I've never felt, I've never felt such love rising up in my heart. It was a renewal, it was a moment of renewal. A moment of saying, I want to recommit myself to you. And if you feel God speaking to you this morning, and this is a particular moment for you, that you'll never forget, then why don't you just come up and tell him, that you want to give yourself afresh and you want to experience a new and a fresh revelation of how he loves you and how he is your bridegroom and how he even now is preparing a place for you and let's live our lives for his glory and let's show his glory this this story is about his glory and he wants he wants you to know that he loves you and he's waiting for you. So we're going to sing the song. Let's stand to our feet. And just don't feel under pressure. But if you want to do this before God, come up to the front and we'll just pray. Lord, we thank you for this moment of consecration. We thank you for this moment of renewal of vows to you, Lord. We thank you for this moment to say that we love you. We thank you, Lord, for this, the words of the song, When We Arrive at Eternity's Shore where death is just a memory and tears are no more. We will enter in as the wedding bells ring, your bride and you together, and we'll sing, you're beautiful. Yes. You know, David knew all about this. David said in Psalm 27, one thing I've desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold or to look at the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle he shall hide me. For he shall set me high upon a rock. I just feel, just for all of you, Lord, we just thank you for all these women who have come forward. And we just pray, God, a special touch from you this morning. Lord, I know that they haven't walked up here lately. They're walking up before you, Lord, yeah. to say that they love you. To say that they want to give themselves afresh to you. Yeah. It's to say that they want to trust you for the future, for what you have for them. God, they're just coming to consecrate themselves afresh. Yeah. 
and to say that they're ready to trust you to walk forward into all that you have for them. And so we pray your blessings on every single woman who's come forward here right now. And Lord, we just pray for all the women in uh, place this morning. We pray, God, that we will all have that fresh touch as we leave here, that we might go out with a, ste- a, a bit of a, a, a lilt in our step, a bit, of a, a bit of a dance in our step, if we go out knowing we're wearing that gown. If we'll twirl around a little bit and let that gown just twirl around us and know that we're dressed in righteousness. We belong to the King. He's this, you know, I'm starting off preaching again here, but you know, Song of Solomon, he's the shepherd king, he's a shepherd husband, you know, he's the one who, you know, a shepherd takes care of the sheep and, and tends it. That's the kind of husband you have. He's yeah. beautiful. He's absolutely beautiful. And the amazing thing is he looks at you and he looks at me and he says to us, you're my beautiful bride. Song of Solomon is full of it. He is reciprocal. He wants you to look at him and know how lovely he is and he looks at you and he says, you're my beautiful bride the one that I love, the one I give my life for. That's who you are. You're mine. You belong to me. Song of Solomon says, he is mine. I am his, and he is mine. Amen. Bless you. Uh, just those of you who want to get prayer, just if you want to just stay around for prayer, we pray for you. In Jesus' name, bless you.